All right, we'll go ahead and turn back to 1 Kings again tonight, and we'll continue our study there again in chapter 8. Tonight we'll look at verses 22 through verse 30, and we're going to see where Solomon begins in dedicating the temple. If you'll remember, Solomon's temple was built to be a place where God dwelt, and it was built to be a house of prayer. So it's only appropriate that Solomon, when he dedicates the temple, he dedicates the temple with a prayer. And that's what we're going to see here, his prayer of dedication. This dedicatory prayer that he prays is really one of the most important prayers in the Bible. It's one of the longest prayers in the Bible. Uh, Solomon, remember, has the wisdom of God. and uh, he's, I don't have the wisdom of God, I should say. He is given wisdom by God, is what I should say there. But uh, he gives us, in that wisdom, a really good biblical model for prayer, a biblical model for uh, intercession, and not just for dedicating a building or a church or a temple, but really for any time we go to God in prayer. Now remember, the dedication ceremony began last week in verses 12 through 21 with that double blessing that Solomon gave when Solomon blessed his people really by blessing their God. And now it's going to be immediately followed by a public prayer by Solomon that begins in verse 22. He says, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. So Solomon stood there before those people and he lifted up his hands and spread them towards heaven and he prayed to Almighty God. First thing I want you to notice there is there's nothing wrong with raising your hands to the Lord. Absolutely nothing. To be honest with you, I wish more of us did that. And that's what Solomon did. And as he prayed here, as he lifted his hands to the Lord, notice where he was. He was standing in the courtyard to the temple. He was really directly in front of that great brazen altar that we've talked about before that was used to make a blood sacrifice to the Lord. Now, this establishes something for us. It establishes the proper, really the only basis for approaching Almighty God, for approaching Him in prayer. You see, when sinners, and every person's a sinner, when sinners approach a holy God, they must come with a blood sacrifice to atone for sin. They must. In that day and time, the priest would shed the blood of those animals on behalf of the people. So they had to make a blood sacrifice. And this is one reason why we pray in Jesus' name. See, when we pray in Jesus' name, we don't just say that to use as a tagline uh, to add on to the end of a prayer. When we pray in Jesus' name, what we're doing is claiming the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as atonement for our sin and as our one and only basis for approaching Almighty God. Amen. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Solomon's prayer here runs from verses 23 through 53. We're not going to look at all that tonight. But it's divided into five main sections. In verses 23 and 24, Solomon offers his opening words of adoration and praise to the Lord. In verses 25 through 26, he asks God to fulfill the promises that God has made. He asks God to do what He said He would do. And then in the third section... Solomon asks a very crucial question in verse 27. He says, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? And then in verses 31 through 51, 
Solomon is going to mention seven specific situations of human sin and divine judgment. And he's going to ask God that in each of these cases that he would hear his people's cry for mercy and that he would forgive their sins. And then he's going to end the prayer with a final appeal in verses 52 through 53 where he asks God again to look on his people with compassion and to hear their pleas for mercy. So these situations here that Solomon is going to describe in this prayer as we go along, uh, he's going to be asking for future forgiveness for situations that Israel is going to face down the road. They're going to face military defeat. They're going to face famine. They're going to face exile. So his prayer kind of serves as a preview of what is to come uh, for the people of Israel and their coming destruction. But this prayer is also important to us for another very practical reason. It helps us to understand the prayers that Jesus Christ offers for us and that we're called to offer for the church, the temple of God now, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we listen to this prayer that Solomon prays here, I want us to remember that we also have a king that prays for us. Jesus Christ, remember, is the greater than Solomon. And Jesus Christ makes intercession for us daily. Jesus also calls us to pray for the temple, which is now the holy temple in the Lord, which is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which is us as believers, which is the church. So Jesus calls us to pray for the church in the very same way Solomon is praying for the people of Israel. So just as Solomon dedicated his temple with prayer here in this text, we should follow his example by dedicating the work of the church to God in prayer as well. So notice how Solomon opens his prayer here. He opens his prayer by praising God for who he is. In verses 23 and 24, it reads, And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. So notice that Solomon began his prayer by acknowledging God. And that's the way we ought to begin our prayers. He addressed God as the Lord. He acknowledged God's sovereignty over heaven and over earth. He also identified the Lord as the God of Israel. Now that tells us something right there. That's a very important statement. It shows us that God is not just some kind of impersonal force. God is not just some kind of abstract deity, some kind of pie-in-the-sky philosophy, if you will. He has a personal relationship with his people. He is the God of Israel, Solomon says, the God of his people. But at the same time, to say that the Lord is the God of Israel is not to say that he is just the God of a select group of people. It's not to say that he's just some kind of tribal deity. It's not to say that he's just one God among many gods, that he's the God of this people and these other people can have their own God. That's not what this is saying at all. This is saying that He is the one and only true God, and He has happened to call Israel as His chosen people. 
What this is saying is, Solomon's saying there is no other God like Him on earth beneath or heaven above, is Solomon's exact words. What he is saying is, in other words, there is no God except Him at all. He is the only God. He alone is the one true God. And when Solomon prayed this way, he was following the example of other godly men throughout history. Moses said, lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Deuteronomy 4, 39. David prayed in Psalm 86, 8 in verse 10, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, you alone are God. So this one and only true God of Israel we see is a faithful God. And that was also part of Solomon's praise that we see here. This incomparable faithfulness was clearly demonstrated in the promises that God made and kept to Solomon's father, David. Verse 24 says, What God said with His mouth, He did with His hand. Do you remember the promise that was made to David? God promised to establish a royal dynasty through the line of David. And guess what? That dynasty endures today through the Lord Jesus Christ, the royal, true son of David. So Solomon's praise should also be our praise because Israel's experience is also our experience. God is still the Lord of heaven and earth. God is the Lord of everything that is. He is the Lord of the universe. But at the same time, He is also our God. Just like Solomon could say, He is the God of Israel. He is our God. The one that Jesus called in John 20, verse 17, My Father, He also said, is your Father. The one He called my God, He also said, is your God. He is a personal God. So through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this personal relationship with the Creator God of the universe. That is an amazing thing to know that we can actually have a personal relationship with Him. He's not, he, he, He's an enormous God. Yes. But He's also our God. He is our God and we are His people. So as we pray, we should praise Him for who He is. And we should acknowledge His faithful, incomparable, promise-keeping love. And we need to remember that He has proven that love. He has proven His faithfulness. He has proven His love to us in His very own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God kept His promise by providing a Savior, by sending His very own Son from the glories of heaven to die on an old rugged cross and then raising Him from the dead three days later. He has been faithful to keep that promise. Now I want to ask you this question, and I want you to really think about this. What other God has sacrificed His very own life to save His people? None. There's not a false religion, false God out there that can say that. Our God, the book of Acts says that when Jesus' blood was shed, the blood of God was shed. Our God sacrificed Himself. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, 
has a love that faithful and a love that true. So we praise Him as the one and only loving Savior who is faithful to the bitter end. We praise Him for that the same way Solomon did. And when we pray also, we should ask God to do what God said He would do. That's what Solomon did in his prayer. He asked God to keep His promise, to do what He said He would do, knowing that God is a promise-keeping God. Solomon did this in his prayer in verses 25 and 26. It says, Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. You know, some people think that prayer is just a way of getting what they want or asking God, for what they want. And it is appropriate to ask God to meet our needs. It is appropriate to ask God to give us what we need. It is appropriate to even ask God to bless us. There's nothing wrong with asking God to do that. But prayer is also, and really prayer is mainly, a way of asking God for the things that God wants. That's That's what prayer really is. And the way we know what God wants is by knowing and believing His promises. That's what Solomon did. He basically prayed God's promises back to him. He prayed God's Word back to him. So we need to know what the promises of God are to know what God wants and what He is willing to fulfill. And when Solomon prayed for the throne of Israel, Solomon was praying that he would be king. Is there anything wrong with that? Not the way Solomon did it. Because Solomon was not pursuing his own ambition. Solomon was pursuing the will of God. He knew what God had promised David. And so basically all he was doing was praying for God's will to come to fruition. And so he prayed to be king. Now God had promised that one day David would have a son to sit on his royal throne. And one of the conditions of that that was continued obedience from Solomon's sons. And so as a son of David, Solomon was counting on God to keep that promise, so he asked God to confirm his word by securing his throne. Solomon wanted his throne secured. And if walking with God was the condition of this promise, then guess what Solomon would pray for? Solomon would pray that he would be faithful. And he would pray that his sons would be faithful in order to secure that throne. So Solomon was really praying for himself and his family, but he was doing it in the will of God. Solomon's sons, we know, unfortunately, many of them failed. Many of them failed to walk with God and keep that condition to keep Solomon's line directly on the throne of Israel. But eventually... Solomon's prayers for the house of David, for that dynasty, were answered in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God was faithful to keep His promise. Jesus walked with God in all His ways. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. He he kept the condition of that promise perfectly. 
He walked with God all the way to the cross. He, went, he humbled Himself to death, even to the death of the cross. He died for our sins at that cross. Jesus kept the law of God perfectly. And when He came to the end of His life, you know what Jesus did? He did the same thing Solomon did. Jesus prayed that His Father would keep His promise to Him. This is what he said in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When Jesus said that, he was asking the Father to do what he had promised to do, believing that he would do it. He was believing that God would raise him from the dead and give him an eternal throne. And guess what? On the third day, That's exactly what God did. God kept His promise. And so when we pray, we should expect the same thing. Our expectancy in our prayers should be based on God's faithfulness to keep His promises. And listen, if we can trust God to keep the big promises like our salvation, If we can trust God with that, and we always say we do. We always say, I know I'm safe and secure in the hands of God. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to be in heaven for eternity. But then we turn right around and worry ourselves to death about if we're going to be able to pay the bills the next day. If we can trust God for the real significant issues of salvation and eternity, we can trust Him to provide for our daily needs. And that's exactly what we should do. We should rely on His promise to do that because He has promised to do that. He has promised to provide for our needs. So when we pray, let's pray in faith, believing that God's going to give us our daily bread. And when we pray the promises of God, guess what's going to happen? He has an obligation to answer them. He will answer them. Why? Because we are asking God to do the very things that He has promised to do in the first place. And remember, God cannot lie. So if He's promised to do it, He will do it. What we just need to do is align our prayers with the will of God. And our prayers will be answered every single time. Well, after praising God and praying for Him to keep His promises, Solomon asks a very important theological question about the temple that he had just built for God. In verse 27, he asks, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? So Solomon has built this beautiful house for God, but his question still is, Would God really live there? Because what good is that beautiful temple if God's not, His presence is not there among His people? Well, Solomon was not foolish. Solomon was smart enough to know that he could never put God in a box, even if that box was as big and beautiful as that temple. He knew that. That that was absurd. That's why in the latter part of verse 27, he said, Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So Solomon knew that God is omnipresent. He knew that he was not limited in his presence to that temple. He knew that he is always everywhere at all times. Solomon knew that. He knew he could not limit God's presence to just the temple. 
and I don't think he expected it to be at just the temple. We'll talk a little bit in a minute about the stamp of approval God put on that temple and placing his name there. Solomon knew that, that it would not hold God. And then after raising the problem of God's presence in verse 27, he asks uh, for God's help in verses 28 through 30. So Solomon is really here inviting the personal presence of this God to help him that he knows cannot be contained. You see how this works? You see how awesome God is? He cannot be contained, but yet he is personal enough that Solomon asks for his personal help. In verse 28, Solomon prays, God, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. So Solomon, remember, Solomon is rich beyond compare. Solomon has all the earthly glory that any man could ever imagine having. But Solomon, even for all that earthly glory, when he prayed, notice what he does here. He humbles himself as a servant who needs the help of this almighty God that cannot be contained. And he prays for God to help him. He spoke to God with this extraordinary intimacy. This huge God that cannot be contained. This incomparable and immense God of heaven, immense God of earth, also happened to be the Lord His God. See, God is accessible, and God is available, and God is a person you can actually talk to. He wants you to talk to Him. He is our personal God. And in His prayer, notice He invites God to be present at His temple. Solomon asks God to look and to listen. His request was for God, in verses 28 and 29, to regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there. Remember, God has already said that he would make a name for himself at the temple. And although God was too immense as we've already seen, to be totally housed at the temple, this is what God said He would do. He said He would put His name there. So the temple would be the only place on the face of the earth that bore the name of the living God. But Solomon wanted more than that. Solomon wanted something even, even better than that. He wanted God to keep looking at the temple all the time, always keeping his eyes open to see who was praying there. Do you see that? Listen, God does do that. God always keeps his eyes open in that, in that manner. The psalmist declared in Psalm 121.4, He who keeps Israel, speaking of himself, that's God, will neither slumber nor sleep. Listen, God is constantly watching over His people. And God is constantly listening for the prayers of His people. Constantly. God loves to hear His people pray. And for the sake of His name, He answers those prayers. He's not blind and deaf like these dead idols 
that pagans worship. He's not unable to answer prayer like these modern idols that we put our faith in. God is listening and He is watching and He is able to answer those prayers. This is one of the reasons He's so immense and so incomparable because He's always looking and He's always listening and He sees His people and He hears His people and He is actually able to answer those prayers. He's near us. He's ever-present. He knows when we pray. He hears those prayers. I want you to notice before we close that every request that Solomon prayed here is answered for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate answer to that question that Solomon asked in verse 27. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Guess what? The answer is yes. Jesus, His very name, gives us the answer to that question. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Son of God, put on human flesh and came to this earth. He dwelt among us. Jesus came as a man living among fallen humanity. Jesus came and experienced every thing that we experienced, yet without sin. Jesus came here and He humbled Himself to the death of the cross to die for our sins, and then He rose again the third day to provide us and prove that He was the Savior, to provide us with salvation, to guess what? Carry us right back to heaven from whence He came. Jesus is, in fact, the true God who dwelt upon this earth. He's the answer to Solomon's question. But Jesus is also the ultimate fulfillment of Solomon's example here. Just as King Solomon prayed for his people, King Jesus prays for us. King Jesus prays for his people. The Bible says that right now, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. In the days of Solomon, God put his name on the temple. Now, God has put his name on us as the living temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We bear the name Christian. The very name of God is put on us. So as the people of God, Jesus prays for us. He makes intercession for us. He asks this awesome God that we've been talking about, this incomparable God of glory, that He would turn His heart toward us and open His eyes and ears to our needs. Solomon prayed that for the people of Israel. The greater than Solomon prays it for us. And these are all prayers that God loves to answer, that God will answer. His eyes are open to our needs. His ears are open to our cries. Call to me, God says in Jeremiah 33.3, and I will answer you. God knows our exact situation. He knows every single thing we are going through at any moment in time. He knows every single thing we're going to go through. And you know what? He stands with an open ear listening to our prayers. And He stands ready to answer. He hears us when we pray. He answers us according to His will for the purpose of His glory. And one prayer 
that he is especially attuned to is the, the prayer for salvation. The Bible says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is listening for you to pray that prayer. If you've not put your trust in Christ, you don't have all these benefits that we've just been talking about. But you can put your trust in Christ and you will have them. He's listening for that prayer. Call upon the name of the Lord. You will be saved.